Welcome everyone to another episode of Well Said. I have a wonderful guest here with me today, Olivia Gallegos, hope I said that right, a student at Wichita State University. I hope to discuss some of the most recent trends we are seeing on college campuses regarding tyrannical student leaders. Oftentimes we see situations where it is clear that many students have no understanding of some of the most basic legal concepts in this country. Student leaders attempt to implement policies that discriminate against clubs or their fellow students based on their viewpoints, but, what, but when their plans fail, they are given socially acceptable outs, such as in the case of Pomona College, a really great example of this, where Student Government Association tried to pass a unanimous resolution um, which would require all clubs on campus to participate in the BDS movement against Israel. Um, and then when they were told by the president they couldn't go forward with this policy, even though everyone passed it, they were told not that it was viewpoint discrimination, not that it was compelled support for the movement, but instead that there just wasn't enough time allotted for everyone to give their opinion on the resolution. So clearly not a teaching moment for P Pomona College. However, viewpoint discrimination and compelled speech should not be looked at as complex legal questions, right? Because oftentimes they're pretty cut and dry. A fascinating example that we will hear more about today from Olivia was when the student senate at Wichita State felt they could not vote on discriminatory policy against an organization she was trying to start until they heard back from legal counsel as to how legal it would be to stop a club from gaining club status because the Senate disagreed with their views. Again, not a complicated subject, but for some reason students aren't sure. Law school should not be the only place where citizens have an opportunity to learn about their legal history. We wonder what the long-term effects of failing or falling short in teaching civics in K through 12 are, but what are the long-term effects of embracing this type of ignorance in universities and shying away from teaching students America's most fundamental and basic laws, while also making an effort to condemn their behavior when they do cross legal lines? If schools are too afraid of the woke mob to teach students about free speech in America, then what purpose do they actually serve? Have students just become <laughs> have schools, sorry, have schools just become tyrant factories where all the most outgoing and active students who develop tyrannical pensions are able to excel and graduate with honors? We wonder what we are seeing, what we're seeing today around, around our communities, how, how students are coming out and now they're going to be shaping our communities. They're going to be shaping the world that we operate in with this type of behavior that they think is totally okay. All right. So thank you, Olivia, for joining us. Um, really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this discussion. It's obviously a really big issue that you have firsthand experience with. So I want to, I want to hear all about it. But first, why don't you go ahead, um, before we go deep into some of the issues you've been dealing with, I'm curious, because you're a biomedical engineer major, right? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so like, is this common? Is this a new thing where you're seeing more and more kind of students from STEM backgrounds getting involved in these um, policy clubs or becoming more active with um, with either like Turning Point or these other type of Young Americans for Leader, or, yeah, Liberty, Young Americans for Freedom, these types of organizations. Are we seeing a trend of STEM students going in this direction um, just based on what, what their experience on campus? I think we're definitely starting to see that trend um, for our Turning Point chapter, a vast majority of our of our members are actually engineering majors or just STEM in general. And I think it stems from the fact that these students have sat by and they've seen the political science majors, they've seen the history majors, the English majors, all the liberal arts majors run these political clubs for so long. And right now we're at a turning point in our country. And we're at a point where you can't sit by idly anymore. 
And so we're seeing the engineering majors, especially, who are very passive, who are very much, I want to focus on my own thing. I want to focus on my schooling and my studies, and I want to get my further degrees. We're seeing them actually start to show an interest in politics and in what's happening in the country and the local community, because they're starting to realize, I can't sit by idly anymore. And that was exactly the case with me. I came to Wichita State University focused on getting my degree in three years, getting out, moving to law school, moving on. And for me, it was a little bit different because I already had an interest in politics, but I still had a strong focus in my STEM classes and in my curriculum rather than diving headfirst into politics. And it took me a few weeks before I even decided to because I was very apprehensive towards it because I was very much, I want to focus on my degree. I want to get my degree and get out of here. Right. Yeah. So there's this kind of desire to keep your head down and just kind of stay out of all of the crazy stuff that's going on on campus. But what you're saying, what it sounds like is that more and more students in these fields that would, they would be, it'd be a lot easier for them to just stay out of it are actually feeling the urge to get more involved because they're just kind of fed up, right? Definitely. And I think especially since I'm biomedical engineering, everything we've seen happen with COVID-19 right. and the vaccine mandates and everything going around surrounding that, you're especially seeing health professions in biomedical engineering, bioengineering, all of the biomedical sciences, that realm of STEM, you're starting to see them have a strong interest in politics because now, no longer are the laws just being made by lawmakers, they're being made by the scientists. Yeah, which is a whole other disconcerting issue that we can talk about as well. Um, I, I, yeah, I would like to hear your thoughts on kind of just, we'll, we'll get into it more, uh, the issue with science and policy and how that's translating on campus. Um, but first I want to go into some of the issues you've run into um, by being a conservative on college campuses. Um, what your experiences have been and what are some of the most outrageous scenarios you, you've been involved in? Um, there are two that I can think of, but I'm, I'm curious if there, you feel free to talk about those ones um, or, or any other ones that I don't even know about yet. So it's really just been those main two that you're aware of. Yeah. And I think genuinely the most outrageous one happened last March when uh, members of the Student Government Association, members of the university wanted me kicked out of Student Government Association for the only reason being that I highlighted a conservative woman for Women's History Month. And so diving back into that, when I joined SGA last August, I had no idea there were committees. I got an email after I was voted in saying, hey, you're going to be on our Diversity, Empowerment, and Inclusion Committee. To which I said, what the heck is that? I've never encountered this before. I know I knew going in that SGAs are typically known for being very liberal and very left-leaning and so I already knew I was going to face an uphill battle being a conservative but our DEI committee really didn't do much in our 63rd session until we got to about Women's History Month and that was really when things went haywire. Uh, we had several meetings where we talked about for Women's History Month what we wanted to do and we settled on social media posts with a short little bio on a woman each of us in the committee decided to submit and highlight. I chose Morgan Zeggers after I heard her speak at the Texas Youth Summit. She's the founder of Young Americans Against Socialism. I love her platform. I think it's very cool what she does. She really focuses on how we need to understand the economics to be able to focus more on social issues or to be able to focus on the issues in our country, we first have to understand basic economics and basic government. Yeah. And so I chose to highlight her. I wrote a short bio 
the post went up and a week later I had emails uh, I had people reaching out on social media saying you need to resign how dare you uh, we're giving baby white supremacists a platform and it was just in insane it was asinine what was happening I ended up having to sit through a two and a half hour long Senate review board hearing where members of the Student Government Association had drawn up paperwork saying that they had reason to for me to sit through this for me to be kicked out and all their reasons were that I harassed and endangered students to which my response is I never said anything when all of this was going on on social wow. media I stayed very quiet I just let everything play out and we really saw just how quickly people wanted to remove me from the public square just because I had a different viewpoint. That's amazing. I mean, the fact that they actually said that you were causing harm to other students by promoting a conservative woman on, you know, Women's History Month. Um, I find that fascinating. You know, at Speech First, we obviously, we ran a petition um, to help defend you and encourage the, the campus president to condemn what the student senate was attempting to do. Um, I mean, from what you've told me, it sounds like they were trying to stop you from even getting the story out. Um, they were trying to stop you from speaking to media, to from, from posting on social media. Um, they didn't want, so it, it, in a way they knew exactly, these student leaders knew what they were doing. They knew it was wrong in some way or another because they didn't want you to tell anyone about it. Um, oh, definitely. And if you go to campus reform, there was an article written about it. Hmm. And there's actually a video from a Zoom meeting that they made me stay after on that I recorded, where our director of public relations told me that I could not speak to the media. If I had anyone reaching out to me, I was to send that to them and they would respond for me. And my response to all of that was that is not going to happen. I'm not speaking out on behalf of the SGA. I'm speaking out on behalf of myself. And I'm not going to give the people who want me kicked out the power to respond for me. That, that was right. not going to happen whatsoever. Yeah. And did you feel like, where do you think they got this sense of entitlement from? Like the, this ability to just kind of run roughshod over you and like just completely try to manage your behavior um, and, and try to control your behavior. Do you think they got that sense of entitlement from the campus administration it's like, why, why did they think they were able to do this? Did, did they genuinely believe they were doing the right thing? Where did, the, where did this come from <laughs> exactly? So I really have no idea where they thought that they could do this. Um, honestly, I think it would have to go back to the fact that the vast majority of our student government association is very left-leaning, very liberal. Not many conservatives are in SGA. And yes, more ended up joining and getting voted in after everything happened with me because our elections happened shortly after that but at that moment during the 63rd session I was pretty much on the outside I had maybe one or two other senators who really stuck up for me and said she has a right to her opinion she has a right to be here but for the most part I, I was left to the wolves I had to sit through a DEI committee meeting where we only talked about that post and I was basically put on the defense of how dare you why did you think this was a good idea? How could we let this happen? I had another member of my committee, she spoke out on Twitter against me. And in that same meeting, she also told me, I don't think all viewpoints are valid. And so I don't think mm -hmm. we should give platforms to viewpoints I find invalid. And I immediately saw that's a concern. We are giving students positions of power that automatically say only certain viewpoints should be allowed. And in that moment, I was very 
very much worried about what the rest of my time in SGA was going to be like because immediately I was like I don't know if I can handle being around people like this 24-7 being around people who think that just because I differ in my viewpoint that I have no right to speak and I have no right to share my opinion that was very concerning. Yeah I mean I I find it really concerning so so is it Part of me obviously wants to say that that means it comes off as if, you know, being on the left now is synonymous with viewpoint discrimination or, you know, shutting down the other side and the lack of kind of not embracing this intellectual diversity, which is what I feel like on the right, we're constantly pushing for on campuses. Um, But then the other part is like kind of you're wondering, or is there just nothing stopping them? You know, it's like you kind of start, you get a taste for power and you start to, start to put all these things into play all of these different policies you like where the thing you like where everything's going everyone's agreeing with you and then all of a sudden someone's pushing back like well no I'm just going to keep running over you because I like where things are going and so you wonder like how students get on this train essentially this runaway train of 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 tyrannical behavior because I don't think people are naturally born with this I mean unless they're like somehow empowered in that way um they don't, they don't necessarily want to like offend people or want to hurt people um, or honestly um, take their rights away or walk all over their, or the constitution. That's not something that people naturally want to do. So you kind of wonder like, okay, is, is the student senate at Wichita State University, how much freedom and leeway are they given? Are like, do, is there any oversight at all by the administration? Is how much, how much do they have? So the Student Government Association in my personal capacity seems to have free range for the most part. Yes, they have the ability uh, to be shut down by the administration. The administration can crack down a little bit, but at the same time, they already have so much power that it's hard to take that away. And they're very lenient to give that up because often when power is given, it will never be returned. And so we have a faculty advisor to the SGA, but at the end of the day, all he is is an advisor. The senators are left to make their own decisions, to make their own, right. I guess, resolutions and bills and just different things they want to pass through. And so I think that's also the very concerning thing is that we have had such a left-leaning SGA and it's become so politicized in recent years that it's very concerning because these are the decision makers of where our student fees are going. The right. Wichita State University Student Government Association is responsible for the allocation of over, of over $10 million in student fees. That wow. is funding several different groups that goes towards salaries for different departments, different activities, our YMCA, our Heskett Center, just various things wow. that come yeah. through and request funding. And so we have a lot of power in that. And that is very concerning because not always is it very transparent on where the funds are going and how things are being allocated. I know several students and constituents who will come up to me and be like, what is happening with the funding? I want to know where my money's going. And I I am left to say, I can reach out and ask for you. Mm -hmm. I can basically just ask because I genuinely have no idea. And I think that is also very concerning because they've created these little circles within the Student Government Association where because I'm a conservative, I'm very much on the outside. And because I'm not buddy-buddy with all of them, I'm very much left to try and see, well, what's happening? I have no idea. I mean, I recently learned that they have probably like three or four different task, for- task forces going on, and I have no idea what they're about. No clue. Mm. None of us have any idea. And 
that's really concerning because that's not, I'm in student government and I have no idea. Our student body has genuinely no clue what's happening. And that is just very concerning. Yeah, and you know, obviously it's a fine line. We don't expect the, the school's administration to like completely manage the student government itself and like take away all of, all of their, you know, free speech rights or anything like that. But at the same time, it's what you're describing sounds like a recipe for, honestly, for disaster, especially because now granted, it'd be a completely different scenario probably if you had these students coming in from a proper education on civics who fundamentally understood the First Amendment and what free speech looked like and what it looked like when it was being violated and, and had a, general, a genuine understanding and, and, and took that all into consideration and respect for free speech. And I feel like that would be a completely different scenario with, with this kind of leniency um, other than it seems like the exact opposite has happened. It sounds like you know, you've got a bunch of power hungry students who've just been given this kind of free reign to run the campus. And like you said, spend 10 million, up to $10 million, uh, however, they, however they deem fit. Um, and there's clearly um, a bias against any kind of conservative. Now, I wanna talk about leading into this next topic that I wanna talk about, which is this bias against conservative students on campus. Not only was it your individual situation, but now they were trying, most recently they tried to stop a club from being recognized, the Turning Point Club, um, which is a nationally ranked club. I mean, this is a club that every campus, you know, has. It's, 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 it's well known. Everyone kind of knows what it does. It's not a secret club or a secret society. It does, it does public events. Um, and so I'm curious, tell me about your story um, with the Turning Point chapter and what the student government has tried to do there. So... I actually got involved because of student government when it came to Turning Point USA. So what ended up happening was I got very sick very fast of hearing in our remarks and announcements at student government meetings, oh, college Democrats is doing this. Oh, we're doing that. And I never heard anything about college Republicans. I didn't hear anything about a Young Americans for Liberty chapter. I had no idea what conservative clubs we really had, if any, at WSU. And so when I was home for the Texas Youth Summit back in September of last year, they had Charlie Kirk speak and he talked a lot about Turning Point USA, explained what it was. And that was really eye-opening because I had heard about it. I kind of knew what they did. But after that, I was like, oh man, I want to join one of these chapters if there's one. And if not, I want to be the one to start it. And so I reached out to Turning Point, said, hey, is there a club? Get me connected. If not, I'll be, I'm interested in starting it. And so our field rep reached out and he was like, hey, there's no chapter we've tried to start one before hmm. it never was successful we'd like to start one again and I said let's do it we spent a long time just kind of laying low trying to just recruit because it was also going to school at a commuter school during COVID right so even less students than there normally are on campus and it's hard enough to get students on campus at our at our university and so after everything that happened back in March we started to see our numbers slowly going up and people were really interested. They were very much ready to join. I know that's how we ended up getting our treasurer for our chapter. She was, she's actually a freshman this year and she reached out to us on social media because she followed Morgan and Morgan was posting about it. And she was like, hey, what's happening at WSU? I'm about to go there and reached out and was like, I'd like to get involved. And over the summer we were building an executive team. She was very interested. And I said, hey, come be our treasurer. We need to fill the spot let's do it. And I love having her. And so mm. it kind of just built up over time and it gained momentum really fast. And so 
we came in right before school started, we got all of our paperwork sent in to become an RSO. We said we have our faculty advisor, we have all the spots filled that we need to have filled, we want to become an RSO. And so student orgs took that, they approved all of our forms, sent it to student government, and it was one week after another. First, the Ways and Means Committee couldn't meet quorum. Then we had no SGA meeting that week, or the, the meeting just got canceled, or whatever it may have been, and it just took forever before we were finally able to go in and present to the Ways and Means Committee. We did, we passed with um, a five to zero to one vote uh, to pass in the Senate. Uh, that one abstention obviously came from our vice president who had a conflict of interest in the vote, and so he abstained. But we went to SGA, we presented, and we thought it was going well. The, the questions were pretty straightforward. Basically, mm -hmm. you say you won't discriminate. And we were like, yes, we agree to adhere by the university policy of non-discrimination. We agree not to haze anybody, anything along those lines. The and basic so, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the basics. And so then a motion was made uh, by another senator basically saying, hey, let's move directly into debate and vote because it's normally a two-week process. Uh, so the first week is presentation and questions. The next week is debate and vote. He wanted to do it all in one meeting because he said, look, they've waited long enough. She clearly answered all of the questions. Mm -hmm. I think we should just move and vote. That motion failed. We came back the next week and we had been tabling just the day before and one of our members had been waving the Gadsden flag. Just a simple don't tread on me flag. And we came to that meeting ready for debate and vote. And the first person to speak started talking about how the Gadsden flag apparently is a symbol of white supremacy. And so in turn, we are promoting white supremacy and we are apparently a white supremacist organization and moved to table us because she wanted to find out and seek legal counsel on whether or not we could be denied RSO status. Yeah, so to stop you here real quickly, not only is there just a general misunderstanding of what's like legally allowed, but also basic American history, right? The Gadsden yeah. flag, if anyone knows anything about the American Revolution, it was very common. It was a flag of that time of the American Revolution, not even close to the Civil War, nothing to do with it. Um, but constantly it's affiliated with, uh, by the left, with, um, with like the South during the Civil War or, or like, I don't really know where they get this from. They basically just made it up and it's taken off on, as like a rumor. But no one has taken the time to do any kind of research. So there's always, already this factor, just a general assumption now. And now they want to, um, you're saying they want to seek legal counsel in order to determine if not allowing you to have club status is allowed legally. Correct. And so FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education, reached out, sent a letter to our SGA and said, look, as individual senators, you're allowed to vote the way you want to vote. But at the end of the day, you have to approve this organization or else it's uh, infringing upon their First Amendment rights. Mm -hmm. um, and that really stemmed from the fact that nobody had brought up any concerns about our club. Nobody had brought up anything about, hey, you have this clerical issue. Hey, this wasn't done correctly. We had followed every single rule by the book, according to the book, and they were still trying to deny us status. And that went into the First Amendment being infringed for us. And so we came back the next week and we finally were able to debate and vote, but many senators started speaking out saying, I feel as though we're being strong-armed. 
and they felt as though they were being forced to vote a way they didn't want to vote. And so ultimately we were denied RSO status, all because they felt this legal question wasn't good enough for them. So <laughs> you were denied status because they didn't like feeling like they were being forced to follow the law. Correct. See, that's fascinating to me, that whole, that whole story, because it's, again, it comes, one, it comes down to students' feelings, um, which has been a common issue on campus. Apparently, feelings take precedence over all else, um, including logic and reason. Um, but now we're getting to a point where they don't feel like following the law because the law is just not something they agree with. What is the, the, the concerning factor of all of this is like, these aren't just random students. These aren't just random people who are not going to be doing anything with their lives afterwards. I mean, maybe some of them are, I don't know. But the issue is these are student leaders. They're probably doing well in class because my guess is there's a certain standard to be allowed onto student government. They've been elected by their peers. Um, and they are going to graduate with a pretty decent resume. And it's going to help them get jobs, leadership positions all over the country and world in various fields. So, and these are people who specifically don't want to follow the law because they don't like how it makes them feel. And so connecting those dots, obviously there's an issue here with what's gonna happen at the future leadership of the country. Um, but I, I, so continue with your story, but we can delve more into that. I'm curious what your response is to all of it, of course. Definitely. And so the next morning after we were denied RSO status, we met with the SGA advisor, uh, my vice president and I, and we went in and we said, hey, we wanna know what the process is for getting a Supreme Court appeal. We are going to appeal this decision. We wanna be an RSO and we feel as though our, it was just blatant viewpoint discrimination. And so we were given the this materials. Is the student, this is the campus Supreme Court, right? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes. Okay. Just to, so for our listeners, so they understand. <laughs> Definitely. Um, that would have so, been the fastest Supreme Court case ever. No. <laughs> it would be very interesting. Very landmark. <laughs> yeah. But so we went with our, went to our advisor, we got the materials and we started drafting our appeal letter and it took a while. We reached out to fire. They decided to send another letter to the student Supreme Court, basically saying, hey, you have, you have to grant this appeal, otherwise it'll pretty much end in a lawsuit, um, was the direction it was going to end up going. And so we filed our appeal, we had our meeting, and we were told within 24 to 48 hours we'd have a decision. And they were waiting till those last 24 hours. It was very suspenseful. We very much were eager to know what the decision was going to be because that was going to di dictate our next move. And ultimately we got an email and it said, your appeal has been upheld. You now have RSO status immediately. Mm -hmm. And that was like a weight had been taken off our shoulders because right. for so long we had been dealing with people saying, oh, you can't have this meeting inside because you're not an RSO. You can't rent space. Mm -hmm. We couldn't do a lot of things. We weren't eligible for SGA funding, which is going to be a whole not another battle. Right. And Oh, so having just, club status means you don't even automatically get student, uh, student activity fee funding? Unfortunately, we don't. So wow. we'll have to go through a process to apply for funding, and we'll have to come back to SGA, say this is what we're going to use this funding for, this is what we're hoping to get, and they can make 
suggestions, they can deny it, and that will probably end up getting denied, and we'll probably have to go into another appeal. Mm. And so it's just going to be fight after fight with the student government for as long as we're on campus, because right. that's the way the system is set up. That's the system in place that we have to follow, and it's very frustrating. Yeah, and let's be clear, the reason they didn't want you to get club status to begin with is because they didn't want to empower your club to be able to hold events on campus, which is one of the big ones, because you need to be able to rent space. And the only way you can do that is if you're a recognized club. Um, you need to be able to um, invite speakers onto campus and then invite other students to attend those events. So this is a big issue, not getting recognized because you can't do a lot of this stuff. You'll have to do it off campus or you know, go through various other hoops. Um, how long did the approval process take? And this is obviously before you even have funding. How long did this total process take? Oh man, that process took forever. I would say, and I have all the dates written down and I'd have to mm -hmm. look back at them, but we had everything in by about the second week of August and we did not have RSO status until I can actually, I know the exact date. <laughs> we found out we had RSO status on October 28th. So it took over like half a semester. Definitely. And it was yeah. very frustrating because we actually did end up bringing a speaker to campus and hosting an event. And it was very frustrating because we were told, uh, as per the student org's handbook, you cannot advertise for an event hmm. until you are an RSO. Um, or correction, you cannot advertise for an event until the event is approved. And the event cannot be approved until you have RSO status. Interesting. And we were hosting, we ended up hosting Morgan Zeggers on campus. Uh, on October 22nd. And so that week where we got tabled, that was the week we were going to be hosting. We, or the week before we were supposed to be hosting, we were very much panicking because we hadn't, we had all these materials and flyers and posters that we were not allowed to put out. We were not allowed to share mm -hmm. it on social media or anything yet, all because we weren't an RSO. And so ultimately we talked with student orgs. They were able to change the classification of our event, which they could have done months in advance they just did not tell us that was an option so we had no idea but we were able to advertise basically a week before our event and mm. that was very frustrating because we knew we could have had better turnout we ended up having 125 people students and community members come out which was great it was awesome yeah there's clearly an interest yeah definitely but we know we could have had even more people had we been able to promote this event two weeks before three weeks before a month before right so that was just a very frustrating thing where it wasn't just the student government, it was student orgs, which is part of the university, kind of saying, hey, you can't advertise your event yet. Right. Um, so I want to go into something that you and I have brought up a number of times, which is, you know, obviously there's an issue with your, your fellow students, your peers, their understanding with the, of the First Amendment. And I'm kind of curious from your perspective, um, just generally on campus, where do you think the most significant knowledge gap is um, with regard to the First Amendment, free speech? Um, is it just blatant disregard uh, or is, just, is there a, a lack of, um, I guess, a lack of desire to like really understand and care about the foundational principles of the country? Or is it, or is it just ignorance? Like where, what, is it more ignorance than disregard or what, what do you see more on campus? I think it seems to be a lot more ignorance, and I would certainly hope it is more ignorance right. rather than disregard, but it really stems from the fact with free speech, 
many students, and this is always a question asked when we are swearing in new senators or voting them in to the student government, somebody always asks, how do you feel about like protecting hate speech or anything like that? And nine times out of 10, the students will come back and say, well, hate speech should be frowned upon. We shouldn't encourage that. We shouldn't give that a platform. Those students should be punished. And that's really concerning because hate speech is still protected under the yeah. First Amendment. Just because you don't like what somebody's saying does not mean that you get to remove them from the public square or they are not allowed to speak what they're saying. Right. And so that is very concerning. And I think it's a lot of ignorance in that regard because most people think hate speech is synonymous with uh, bullying or harassment, which are very different Mm -hmm. situations. And so that is very concerning because hate speech itself is not a crime. When it turns into harassment, when it turns into a hate crime, then it's a crime, but it's under different definitions. And that is very concerning and shows a lot of ignorance around the First Amendment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a wonderful point. Yeah. um, It's so funny because honestly, if you go around to campuses today and ask them if hate speech is legal, almost everyone will probably tell you that it's not legal. Um, and, And that's just honestly, internationally, I was just in Switzerland the other week and I told them that hate speech is protected under our First Amendment and that we have one of the, um, Probably that we are of, of all the countries in the world, we are probably the most pro free speech countries because of these types of things. If you look at any other constitution, even in Western civilizations, they are always they always are going to say um, such things as, you know, every man is entitled to free speech or has the natural right to free speech. Um, except for in these situations. And there's always some sort of exception written into the constitutions, even in Canada, the UK and France, all these countries have exceptions literally written into their constitutions. We are the only country that ha- says that, you know, Congress shall make no law abridging the right to free speech. Like, so this is something that, or right, you know, the freedom of speech. So this is something that we are very much, uh, very, very unique in. And I think that is what you described there, it's not a matter of like, we just go around spouting hate speech to everyone and we like are proud of the fact that we offend people all the time. It's more, and that's kind of how a lot of people interpret it. Um, but really it's, it's more of just this, this, this pride in how unique America is and we are, we are not willing to make any exceptions to freedom and liberty. And there's like, or very, very few exceptions in comparative sense to the rest of the world. And I think that's something that we should be proud, we should take pride in, and we should understand, obviously. Um, because once you properly understand it, it doesn't mean you're a worse person for recognizing that hate speech is protected by the First Amendment. It means that you fundamentally um, understand the principles of this country and kind of that philosophical question has been answered, which I think for a lot of students, they, it's not only that it hasn't been answered, it hasn't even been asked. The question itself is not something that they, has even occurred to them, which is where I think the knowledge gap is primarily lying, right? It's, you said that when, when you were trying to get club recognition, the students said they didn't want to vote on it until they could ask legal or until they could find out legally whether or not they could discriminate against your club based on your viewpoint, which to me, again, like I've said this a million times in this podcast, is a seriously like that is a cut and dry legal question that is not a <laughs> that is not a complex theory that they need more understanding of and have to go to law school to, to better understand that is something that's pretty straightforward sorry my dog's like playing with his toys in the background you're gonna have to ignore all the, okay. the noises um but yeah so so moving on um so there seems to be um this is something that i found interesting so you, there seems to be like this kind of tyranny of the minority issue on your campus, right? And I don't think this is the first, you're the only campus that has this issue, right? So it's, you have 
in the student government itself, it's actually tyranny of the majority because it's a majority viewpoint, um, which actually happens to be a minority viewpoint on the, the, the broader campus. How are these students getting into positions of power if they don't represent the main viewpoint on campus? Because last time I checked, like Kansas isn't, you know, the most liberal state in the country and you really shouldn't have this much of an issue. You wouldn't expect to have this much of an issue um, with conservative students on campus. Yeah, and so that is a very good question and it's very concerning how these students are gaining power and receiving these high, high roles in student government association. And it all comes from the fact that one, we are a commuter school. So it is hard enough already to have students generate interest on campus. Most students don't really feel like coming to school if they don't have to. They're here for their classes and then they leave. They don't mm -hmm. stay on campus all day. We don't have a football program. And so it's not like we have I see. the Friday night tailgates, the Friday night football games. We don't have anything like that until we hit about basketball season. And so that's also very concerning because we don't have a strong reason to come onto campus if we don't have to. And so then the next part of that is a large majority of our students on campus are returning adults. And so the returning adults already are working jobs. They're in the real world. And if you actually talk to most of them, I'd say probably 90% of them are very conservative or at least understand economics. They understand fiscal responsibility, the right to free speech, all of that, because they've seen it firsthand in the workforce. And so that is the next part where it's, those are returning adults and they make up a large portion of the university but they also don't want to come back onto campus. They're there for their night classes or they don't have the time or they have kids at home to take care of. And so they can't make that extra commitment. And so then it's left to the undergrads. And I mean, it's just statistically proven that like the 18 to about like mid twenties range is when you're probably your most liberal mm -hmm. in your life. And that comes from one, you're forming your own opinions and two, you're just experiencing college and it's a lot of indoctrination on college campuses and these students right. that are getting into positions of power, we already don't have a strong interest in student government. We literally do not even have all of our Senate seats filled and it's November 22nd. The semester ends in two weeks hmm. and our Senate is still not completely filled. So we aren't generating the interest. We aren't generating a strong urge for people to join. And so then people will just kind of sign up and say, hey, I want to do this. And right. most of them are political science or history majors who actually tend to be very left-leaning or very much on the liberal side of politics. And so then they get into positions of power by being senators. And then they work themselves in, I mean, into like task force or committee chair. And they kind of just yeah. go up the ladder from there. And that's very concerning because in our last election, 5.9% of our student population actually voted. Wow. And the email was sent out to everyone. So it was a matter of people not really caring and also not checking their email. But that was very concerning because you saw... And this is an even, online voting system. Yes, ma'am. It's open wow. for a few days too. It's not even like it's a have to come in person between these hours. You can vote okay. at one in the morning if you want to, as long as it's in that time frame. And so that is very concerning because you see the student body just does not care. They don't have a strong interest or they don't know who's running. And their response to most of it, when you talk to people and they're like, I'll just vote for whoever's name is on the ballot because one, I don't know them. And two, it's not like SGA is going to be transparent with me or tell me anything anyways. 
I mean, people are seeing a broken system and they don't think that there's going to be change with it. It's amazing how much this parallels what's happening off campus, which is why I always tell people in my line of work, you know, it's what happens on campus does not stay on campus. This eventually seeps out and will start to shape society. I mean, you're seeing right now, there's a broken electoral system in our country and people are becoming more and more disinterested uh, in, in the candidates. And it's not just at the national level, right? This is at the most local levels where you have just general disinterest or complacency, which is especially what we're seeing on college campuses these days. And they're, because of that, it's allowing people who are very tyrannical and terrible leaders to essentially rise to very powerful positions on campus. Like you said, they're managing $10 million budgets. Students are, students who are not, <laughs> not interested in following the law at all, it seems like. So I think that's something that really should resonate with listeners as, as we're talking about these issues. It's like, we need to remember that this does seep out this does eventually shape the society that we're going to operate in. We should continue to care about these issues. We should not be a disinterested in society unless, in fact, like America, isn't, we're supposed to be the one country where we don't really have a disinterested society, where everyone is interested in politics all the time. Um, but, you know, some folks, I think on social media, especially, they feel outnumbered. They see all of this like constant barrage from one side or the other. And, and it feels like they don't really need to speak up or form an opinion on anything. Um, so I think you're seeing that very clearly on campus. Um, and then that, that's something that I'm curious about. So do you ever see, do you ever see statements coming from the campus administration then on kind of this one-sided behavior from student government? Is there ever a step in at all from your campus administrators? The only statement I really ever saw uh, was in regards to our turning point chapter being denied status, uh, basically saying, should this not get overturned, they will still become an RSO, basically saying they'll still have all the rights as an RSO and they're not going to just wipe us off of campus, that we will still have a place to be here, that they protect free speech. But honestly, it, it felt pretty frustrating because it wasn't like anybody was actually reaching out to us from the university. Nobody reached out to me when I went through everything. I had been told, like, donors are threatening to pull money, donors are trying to erect change in the school and supposedly our president was saying yes yes like she'll get to stay in student government should they kick her out or anything like that but I really had no idea nobody was reaching out to me on the administrative end besides to say hey there's counseling services if you're feeling overwhelmed and that was just very frustrating because it felt as though the university's hanging leaving me out to dry the student government clearly has and I have the backing of community members, but we didn't even have a strong turning point chapter. I was on an island by myself and it was sink or swim for me because this was going to be something that was going to dictate the rest of my life, honestly, because right. if you Google my name, everything comes up and it was going to be a thing that should I bow down to it when employers look me up, they say, oh, she got canceled. Oh, this happened. She did the X, Y, and Z wrong. And by backing down, I was also going to say yes and it basically indirectly admit that I did something wrong when I did. Yeah. yeah. And so it was just very concerning. And I mean, we really don't see the administration saying much. They don't talk to us. I mean, we have some people at the university who are faculty members who will come up to us when we table and they say, I love what you're doing. They might grab a sticker or a button. 
but they're like, I can't stay around. Like, I don't want my boss to see me. I don't need anyone to see me because I'll get in trouble at work. And that's really concerning. Yeah. So the professors, the other faculty members who are actually supportive of you are genuinely afraid to even say that out loud. So that is very, very interesting. I mean, it comes down to the fact that these are the educators. First of all, the educators should not be afraid to teach. The educa educators should not be reluctant to teach. That is literally their purpose. That's what you're paying them for. That's what these, these far left students are technically paying these you know, these, these tens of thousands of dollars specifically to be educated and to maybe learn that they might be wrong about the way that they look at the world. <laughs> and it's, it's fascinating to me. We go on, you hear all these stories about college debt and how it's um, a big waste of money and you, you come out with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and there's no real path to, to paying that back. Um, but then it's like you look at the schools and they're not doing anything to help these students. They're just, again, it kind of, you may, it starts to wonder, like, is this a cog in the machine type thing where it's like, you're, are they just spinning the wheel and trying to get these students churned out in an indoctrinated fashion so that they can continue the progressive agenda? And the reason you come to those concepts and those ideas is because you're like, what else are they doing? They're not doing anything else to help the situation. Um, they're hanging you out to dry, like you said, um, but they're also hanging the, hanging the tyrannical students out to dry. They're not even trying to educate them on what they're doing wrong or even attempting that. I think for the most part, because they're afraid, because they're afraid that if they say anything, it'll make it on social media. And then guess who will hear about it? Probably all the alumni and donors. And eventually it will cause the school some trouble. And their whole mantra is to avoid trouble, right? Not to educate students. Um, so a recent study showed that 80% of students self-censor. Um, this is a study done by FIRE, who you've, you've done some work with. Um, I'm curious, so we talked about the, the level of disinterest and complacency on your campus. But what about the students who don't want to be disinterested, who don't want to be complacent, but are still genuinely afraid to speak up? Is that something that you, um, you've seen a lot of on your campus? Or do you think because it's a commuter campus, it's hard to tell? But I'm curious, like in classrooms and everything too, or even with professors, like you said, who are afraid to speak up, how much self-censorship is really, is really out there? I think there's a high number of faculty, students, just in general on the campus who do self-censor. And it's very concerning because I know several friends alone that they love what we're doing with Turning Point. They're like, I wish I could join, but they're either in Greek life or they're in other student groups or anything where they're scared mm. that they'll get kicked out. I have a friend in a sorority who she knows that there's one other conservative who is pretty much openly conservative and they pretty much isolate that girl. And so she does not want that wow. to happen to her. She does not want to be shut out of her sorority just for having a different viewpoint. And so she won't come to our meetings. She won't join, but I'll hang out with her and she'll be like, I want to know what's going on. I want to hear all about it. And it's so frustrating because at the end of the day, I don't blame them. They're, they're worried about their futures. They're worried about what's going to happen to them. And all I can tell them at the end of the day is, look, I got your back. Our turning point chapter has your back. And there are tons of community members and just people in the country who have your back if you choose to join and if you choose to be a part of this. At the end of the day, we can't, we can't tell them, hey, come join. Nothing's going to happen to you because sometimes it will. I mean, we saw that with our vice president. He is a member of our student ambassador society. He was nominated for a spot uh, to become like their VP of records, I believe. Mm -hmm. And during the questioning period 
uh, of why he wants the role. Somebody asked him about, oh, I see you tabling outside. Can you tell me what that is? And was trying to get him to admit, yes, I'm a part of Turning Point USA. Yes, I'm a part of this conservative group. And they were trying to get him, they were basically trying not to elect him. Uh, there were several people in that meeting, I was told, who were like, he shouldn't be a part of this because he is conservative, because he's a part of this white supremacist fascist group. How dare he? And it was, it's concerning because we're seeing that happen. And nobody's like really sticking up. I mean, yeah, a lot of the members of that group were very angry and very upset. But at the same time, there's an equal number of members going, how can we not judge him on his political mm. opinions? How can we not do X, Y, and Z? Um, and it's very, it's just concerning because that is what it's come to on college campuses of if you identify as a conservative, you're going to have an uphill battle and it's going to be an uphill battle until the day you graduate. And that is not the way it should be. It's not the way for the college Democrats or right. even for, we have a communist group on campus. It's not that way for them. They can sit there and tell us Mao and Stalin are the best people to ever have lived, how like Castro is great. They can sit there and say that all day long. But the moment any of us get up and say, hey, I disagree with you, we're canceled. We're the ones who are being removed from this public square. We're the ones who will not receive leadership roles or anything, all because it's a small minority of students who were loud. It's the loud minority and it's very frustrating. And you see so many students self-censor because they're scared about that. I have so many friends and they're all scared. I mean, when we have faculty members coming up to us saying, I love what you're doing, but I can't yeah. stick around. I don't want to be seen here. That's concerning because you also know, should we ever need to find another faculty advisor, they probably won't be in line. And that's right. going to be another uphill battle. Should we ever have to find another one? Yeah, no, it's, and you know, it, this is not obviously specific to Wichita State. This is an issue we've seen going across the country at various campuses with getting club recognition, getting faculty member, finding faculty members who are willing to, to stand up for conservative groups and conservative students out loud and like put it on their record as well. Um, and obviously the FIRE report says that the self-censorship is a huge issue um, right now. And it's, it's one of the, the biggest problems that we have on campuses today. Um, before we, we close out, I want Olivia to, so for other, because obviously for solutions, this is a myriad of problems. There's all sorts of, there's no silver bullet, obviously, that, that's going to like solve all these problems on campus. Um, but I think that the one thing we can say right now is if you're a conservative on campus, stand strong, speak up, get, get involved, find the clubs on campus where you can participate. Don't be complacent. Don't, you know, shy away. Don't censor yourself because the whole point of your college experience is to develop these these fundamental convictions that are going to lead the rest of your life decision making. And the only way you can really do that is if you're debating people, exchanging ideas, pushing yourself, pushing others, and just, you know, hearing, hearing um, what everyone has to say and, and standing up for your ideas um, or researching more, learning more about what you think. So to all the conservative students on campus, Olivia, what kind of advice would you give to other like leaders who are involved in clubs, um, who want to start clubs? Um, but also to just your other peers who want to get more involved and, and how, as you know, whether they're in STEM fields or not poli-sci fields, like what would you say to them? What kind of advice would you give to them? I think my best advice would be to stand firm in your beliefs. At the end of the day, 
that's all you have to go on. If you are wishy-washy in your beliefs, you're going to make yourself susceptible to people trying to cancel you, trying to remove you from the public square. They'll be able to say, oh, so-and-so went back on their word and did this instead. And so by standing firm in your beliefs and knowing what you believe, you're going to be a lot better off. I know that was the case for me. Had I not stood strong and not stood firm with everything, I probably would not be seeing the numbers we have in our turning point chapter. People would probably not want to join with somebody who is kind of wishy-washy and goes back and forth on what they believe. And so that's the biggest thing I can say. And then the other thing I would say is don't be afraid to join these conservative groups. Don't be afraid to speak out because at the end of the day, your school most likely has a turning point chapter. There's so many other groups. There's pro-life groups. There's uh, college Republicans, Young Americans for Liberty. There's so many different groups that are ready to have your back and ready to stand behind you and help you fight whatever may come of you speaking your conservative beliefs, that you're not going to be on an island alone. And I think that's one of the biggest things people are very concerned about is I'm yeah. going to be alone in this. And all I can say to you is you're not. There are so many conservatives who have gone through what I went through and we're here to have your back. I know so many people alone on our campus that should somebody else have to go through what I went through, we will have their back and we will fight for them and stand strong and say, hey, this is wrong. We're not going to put up with this. This is unacceptable. And so don't be afraid to join. You have so many people backing you and so many people who believe in you and will stand, stand behind you and have your back that you're going to be okay. And yeah, if I mean, just stand strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's the best kind of advice, really, because um, honestly, the onus is on the individual. We do have to, we do have to take responsibility for it. And if, if, we're, if we're afraid or, you know, uh, not wanting to participate in these clubs just because, like you said, we're afraid to stand alone, um, it's, you got to, one, stand up and, like, know that you're not alone. But also, there are plenty of other people on your campus, students on your campus, who most likely want also to find a conservative outlet on campus. Um, and so sometimes maybe being the one to start that club like you did um, is, is the way to help kind of like attract those students and find those who are gonna stand with you um, in, in the whole process because not everyone's gonna come out right away unless there's somewhere to go. Um, so thank you so much, Olivia, for joining um, Well Said today. This is Well Said is a show where I interview policy experts, commentators, academics, students, activists on higher education, free speech, and other such related topics on American culture and policy. You can share this episode on Facebook or YouTube. Also, um, we have our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, all the platforms. So download them and listen anytime. Give us a five-star rating if you like what you heard today. I'm Sharice Trump and Olivia, that was Well Said. Thank you.